Hi folks, in the last podcast, Leduc and I gave you a sneak peek into this episode, which we're bringing you now. It's a special one, and as Leduc mentioned in the previous show, it surrounds Steve Potts, who Leduc has a great friendship with. Who is Steve Potts? Steve moved to Marin County in Mount Tamalpais, who some say is the birthplace of mountain biking, where he started Wilderness Trail Bikes, aka WTB, in 1982 and paved the way to the groundwork of mountain biking and other disciplines. In the year 2000, he sold WTB and went back to his first love, building bikes. Just about everyone we can mention in the bike industry, like Joe Breeze, Keith Bontrager, Tom Ritchie, Gary Fisher, etc., are all personal friends of his. His creations, understanding, and competency of the bike industry is unmatched. Leduc wanted to bring him onto the podcast for some exposure to mountain biking for us kings and a history of the bike industry right here in America. I want to make it crystal clear that I truly believe we only scratched the surface with Steve in this episode. If this show seems hectic, that's because it is. That's about normal for us. Full disclosure, we had some mic issues and that's why Leduc starts taking over as I keep an eye on things. Also, I just had Mr. Potts on speakerphone. I think it worked. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. Once you listen to this episode, if you think we should talk about other things more in detail, please send me a DM. Steve is more than happy to do follow-up episodes. Check out his website at stevepottsbicycles.com to learn more about his bike builds or even order a bike. We thank Leduc for bringing Mr. Potts to the show. And of course, Steve, thank you as well. We truly, truly appreciate it. With that, let's get into it. Welcome everyone to the next drama cast. It's a very, very special drama cast. We have a uh, a living legend on the phone with us right now. We have my uh, little mic set up at uh, Leduc's house. And um, yes, we have uh, Steve Potts on the line, a... uh, a behemoth in the industry and the biking and and uh steve you there i'm still here thank you yes yes thank you for joining us and um yeah i this is a this is an amazing thing you're doing uh, i know you and leduc know each other um really well why don't why don't we just go ahead and get started with you and leduc's relationship and and then we can get into the nitty-gritty things um yeah, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and, and, you know, who you are and uh, you and LaDuke's relationship out there in California, if you don't mind. No, I don't mind at all, yeah. Thanks. I, I've never been called a behemoth before, but that's... Uh, <laughs> in the best <laughs> way. <laughs> anyway, I met Jonathan years ago um, uh, through through his where he works at the JH Ranch, which is a beautiful place here in, uh, in the mountains. And... Um, and of course, he's a, an avid cyclist, an outdoors person, and has an absolutely wonderful family that's also involved in uh, all, all of the uh, family events, which is wonderful. And uh, yeah, Jonathan and I, kind of in the last couple of years, got to know each other a little bit better, basically through cycling and his interest in bicycles and even wanting to make them. We've done a couple of little welding um, semina- uh, seminars for Jonathan and his brother, which has been really fun, just basically a, a friendship thing, just to uh, just to have fun and, and learn some new things. So, um, yeah, he's a, he's a good friend, good family friend. Really enjoy Jonathan. 
and he's a good writer and a good athlete and a good outdoors person. So that's my oh, yeah friendship with him. And he has a wonderful family. He does. And Steve, I just want to say that you are a very welcome uh, person that I enjoy stopping by your shop at any time I'm out on a ride and you're always happy to show me the next latest invention or some frame that you've got mocked up. So uh, I really enjoyed uh, getting some of the uh, behind the curtains aspects of this industry and I just had to have you guys on this podcast because knowing the passion and interest from the Drama Kings and you with 40 plus years of experience that this would be a wonderful show so yes yeah thanks Jonathan yes thank you for doing we're we're about around uh, 30 riders in the group Um, there's a lot of variance in our riding styles we have a few mountain biking uh, enthusiasts or former mountain biking enthusiasts Uh, most are road but there's a um, a growing contingent of gravel riders as I'm sure you would guess so um but yeah, we'll uh, we'll get right into it if you're okay, and uh, maybe uh, shed a little b- light about um, who you are. Uh, I guess how you started riding, and not too much on that, but maybe how you started getting into the bike industry itself, and um, what you've uh, accomplished. Maybe you know five to ten minutes on that, and seeing seeing you know who you are in the industry. Well, my. My passion for bicycles started really young. Um, just for some reason, I was uh, fascinated with two wheels, <laughs> and um, yeah, and that just sort of was one of the things that sort of um, you know helped me through life as a little kid. You know, my mom passed when I was eight years old, so I was the uh, youngest of five kids, and I was sort of a latchkey kid. And the bicycle was my adventure, and it was what it's what carried my imagination in life as a little kid. And quite frankly, it, it kept me out of trouble. Uh, it probably got me into a lot of trouble adventure-wise, but no serious trouble um, that a lot of a lot of young kids that in my position might have taken. So I was really fortunate that I had the bicycle as my buddy, and um, mm-hmm. you know we didn't we didn't I never had any great bikes because I, we couldn't afford them. I was a, a paper route kid as when I was when I was younger, and that's how I <clears throat> you know I made money. And uh, so I could tell you pretty much every bike I had, but. The bike itself was just sort of a, an adventure, um, you know, for me. It was just a great thing, and I always kind of stretched that and stretched that. And I was fortunate enough to, to go to school and grow up with Joe Breeze, who was also um, a cyclist. And his dad had a wonderful machine shop, and his dad was an astronomer, as my dad was, so they were friends. And that sort of led into Joe's and my relationship and friendship. And he's one of the early pioneers of, of bike building and uh an absolutely wonderful person and uh joe and i when we were young we we decided to take a trip to new zealand on the bikes that we built in joe's shop they were breezers and uh it was probably one of the best adventures i ever took and that was uh you know it was just kind of what opened the path door for me and i was <clears throat> i was very fortunate my dad was a wonderful craftsman excuse me he made everything you know himself uh made anything that he dreamed of he would try to make whether it was a uh, you know, a clock, a bow and arrow, a telescope, uh, grinding lens tools, just everything. He was an incredible craftsman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I got to watch that as a kid. It was, I, I received all that uh, from my dad through osmosis. So anybody that doesn't think that your kids are watching you, they are. 
<laughs> so I learned a lot of things as my kids learned from me. I, I saw them doing things that I went, wow, where did they, where did they learn that? And basically they were watching me in front of a lathe or a mill or welding and stuff. So they both became very, also very good mechanically and good thinkers too. So long and short of it, that trip, um, you know, I was a sheet metal worker as a kid. I started when I was about 12 in a sheet metal shop and, um, you know, learned how to make things and solder and weld, which was part of my training. And of course, I was one of the kids that spent all this time in the machine shop in high school and, you know, rebuilt junkyard bikes, which was my favorite thing. That was my early mountain bike days is rebuilding junkyard bikes that I bought for 25 or 35 cents at the junkyard. And then evolved to my, you know, riding with Joe Breeze and making bikes to finally deciding to, uh, stopped everything else I did and when I came back to New Zealand and I I literally sold everything I owned and I bought a mill and a lathe and I rented a little two car garage for $35 a month and and uh, I was really petrified I didn't know if I'd even anybody even buy a bike from me and yeah it was you know sleeping in the shop on a plywood bench and using the Schwinn shop down the road from my bathroom which was uh you know short-lived for about two years but that's what I did and um it was it was a great thing. It just sort of evolved from there, and I can honestly say that I had no aspirations to do anything except you know build bikes. It was a passion, and I didn't have a business plan. I didn't dream of being wealthy financially. I just dreamed about making bikes, and uh, and I was totally driven by passion and wanting to make things. And, and it's kind of still the same way. I'm I'm more focused on you know making making things and inventing things than I am about some grand financial plan, which is somewhat of a downfall, but, but I, I think my heart's in the right place and yeah. it does, it does lend itself to making, you know, some really nice stuff and, uh, and it's, you know, it's satisfying too. So, yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, the, the bicycle basically became a, a tool for, um, kind of a freedom tool for me. And it was, uh, in a way of, um, you know, kind of having some peace in your life and some physical health and mental health. Um, just being out there, you always feel better when you're riding and your imagination works well and it's in a positive trend. And so I think cycling has been just really good for me and, you know, most people that ride. So it's, yeah. it's been a great thing. So, and that's kind of where it still is at. I still ride and I take my little dog cowboy with me and I made a little uh, cowboy basket <laughs> that I throw him in when we get back on the road so he doesn't have to deal with cars but he right he runs the trails and nice he me so and i did that of course with my kids i made a fully suspended bike seat and they went everywhere with me when they were little okay under 40 pounds so now this is california right pardon me this is california correct yeah california northern california up in yes. the mountains, yeah got it got it over it tell us about the first bike so um you're getting into the industry uh, not much business plan, but you know how do you how do you dive into your first bike build? Um, can you explain it that that first build you did? Well, the very first build I did was with uh, a family friend named John O'Connor. I grew up with John's kids, and we worked in the sheet metal shop as kids. John O'Connor owned a sheet metal shop, and that's where we learned you know how to work with our hands. And and John's two sons, and then his brother-in-laws. Uh, Two sons worked there. It was a family business, and uh, and John was always interested in, uh, you know, they, we, I was like their family. They they, they helped raise me, and uh, so John, I built John his first bike, 
in the shop and John wanted to be there with me and he came in and you know we worked together and it was fun just to have him there and uh and and I built it but he wanted to be a part of that which was great and uh, and that was actually the first bike and it was a gift to John because he'd helped me for so many years and um and then when I started building bikes um I think my first paying customer walked in and said he wanted to buy a frame I think it was around three hundred dollars and I was just floored that somebody bought a frame from me okay and uh and it just sort of you know I, I don't remember uh much after that <laughs> because it's been a blur um I I made somewhere between I don't know around fifty five hundred six thousand bikes and um in my moves I've lost two serial number books which is unfortunate but uh, uh but you know it just kind of one thing led to another and of course the development of components and stuff and uh and then my buddies mark and charlie charlie cunningham and mark slade we uh we were the founders and started wilderness trail by wtb and we made you know hubs and brakes and headsets and tire designs and you know we at one time we became the largest licensor of intellectual property in the bicycle industry and then of course we started our little company and that got pretty big too yeah and uh, Charlie and I left that company in 2000 and we we're the original founders of the company Mark and Charlie and I okay and uh, so and I continued to always build bikes and that's what I do now and, um, you know it's uh, it, you know it's, I still really enjoy it gotcha so in the early days though were you building primarily uh, just want to make sure mountain bikes or yes. like were they just Road and I was building okay. mountain bikes and, and an occasional road bike, and I built a lot of tandems, a lot of mountain bike tandems. I was kind of early on that. Oh, cool! Um, what year was that? Oh my gosh! I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> um, Just to I put a number. Remember? <laughs> okay. I could probably look at a serial number, but it was in the maybe the mid eighties, maybe eighty seven, eighty eight, uh huh, eighty nine. And then I started racing them, uh, mountain bike racing, and uh, people thought it was pretty funny when I first did that. They thought it was crazy, but um, you know, we kind of we kind of shocked the world with the tandem racing. It was oh yeah, big. yeah. So um, cycling in the eighties, um, you know, Americans knew the Seven Eleven team, and if they knew anything. Um, or Greg LeMond, of course. But in those early days of mountain biking, you know, you're using all of your time and resources to make mountain bikes and you're getting to, into the racing. Um, what, uh, was there, was there any doubts from, from a lot of people in that, in that scene? I have no idea. I'm just really, I, I well, have no there, idea. There was, okay, like, I do remember the first year, which was really, um, you know, everybody's sort of like the, the mountain bike thing was going to be a fad and it was going to go away. Yeah. And and I remember when Mike Senior brought the first Thumb Jumpers over, um, you know, it was pretty shocking, uh, you know, from Specialized. It was pretty shocking. <clears throat> but it really took off. And, um, and then, of course, a lot of people were still skeptical for a couple more years. But um, when people start to realize this, the freedom and the joy and... Um, you know, being able to get away from cars and just do a whole other thing and have a bike that's really sturdy and functional really started to shine. And um, it, was, it was pretty neat. And the training aspect was really good. And 
um, you know, just to be in the outdoors. And climbs are really hard, and yeah, you know, it, it, you know, mountain biking is not. It, it is a good workout. Um, you have to deal with a lot of you know steep climbs and maintaining your traction, and yeah. a lot of technical riding skills required. So it, it turned out to be a very good, um, you know, all around cycling experience. Yeah, um, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. I, I, you were talking, and I was thinking uh, this random question. Um, what what kind of trails did you ride on back then? Were they just like hiking trails that you yes. that you yeah. just? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, there's um, a lot of wonderful hiking trails. Um, yeah, I mean, I, in all honesty, I felt like. Um, I was very fortunate. I was a little. I was, I was pretty young. I was in high school when I was riding trails that mostly hikers were on, and people were always surprised and delighted to see me. Um, you know, obviously, as things got popular, it became a conflict because there became more and more people. And and I had a, you know, in, of course, when you increase the number of people, you'll increase the number of people that may or may not be as you know careful, or they maybe go too fast, or don't have the concept of sharing the trail properly or you know so that's where the conflict came in but I wrote pretty much everything and then the other thing that helped me knowing everything is that uh, I also rode motorcycles and when I was uh, I turned 14 I started racing motorcycles and, uh, and when I turned 17 I turned pro and so cycling was always like a training tool mm-hmm. uh, skill wise and physically you know to keep my physical anaerobic uh, level up too for racing so yeah. it all kind of went hand in hand so a lot of those places I rode when I was younger and there was far less people um, you know I explored a lot on my motorcycle too and it wasn't as a big deal in the older days um, remember you have, you're talking to a, a, a fossil behemoth here yes. <laughs> <laughs> going back to when things were not as crowded and and, uh, and very new but I had a great cycling experience when I was younger because the hikers were always delighted to see me and I was a kid and they were surprised to see that you could do that. Yeah. And of course I was, you know, I was always happy to see people and courteous and, you know, so it wasn't a problem. Um, but yeah, I just pretty much wrote every single thing on the planet where I live that of course you, you can't write anymore because yeah. they're, you know, they're prohibited. But, um, I was very fortunate to be able to ride, pretty much everything you could possibly ride in some of the most wonderful areas you could ever dream of riding a bike. Got it. Yeah, that that sounds pretty awesome, the bliss in the early days. You get away yeah. with a lot. Um, I like that they just were delighted to see you. That's a yeah, good change. It was, it was a good experience. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No doubt You. that's why you stuck with it. Um, yeah. Let's uh, maybe move on to like, uh, more of the industry trends that uh your early days to really getting into wtb um maybe talk about just a briefly the the trends in the industry that you've been that you've spearheaded or or been a part of and then you know what you've seen elsewhere right well trends are something to be very careful about because um, a lot of a lot of companies, you know, have to. I mean, it's important for companies to innovate products and to make cycling experience better. Um, sometimes, not all of those innovations or changes actually add to the value of the cycling experience. They're just they're new things, and um, 
Mm-hmm. And some are, some are, have more value than others, so you always have to be careful of following trends for the sake of following trends. You know, you have to ask yourself: Is it going to make the bike a better, better experience? Is it going to make a better product? Is it going to shift better, work better, handle better? Um, you know, and the market's saturated with a lot of bike companies and uh, component makers and tire makers, and so it's always really hard for people to sort out what's not value, but. Um, you know, all of it's pretty necessary because people go through it and you you discover the good things of things and what's not so good. So it is sort of a natural progression of bike building. But the philosophy that I've always had in, the, in my early days with my original partners was to make parts that last and can be serviceable and that were strong and reliable and very functional. And we, we actually had some of the biggest bicycle component makers in the world <laughs> tell us that that wasn't such a great business plan <laughs> and i was going why and they said well don't you want to sell them your new product next year um you know your next new product i said no we want to sell them stuff that'll last forever yeah <laughs> so they thought that was pretty funny and uh, we were very young and idealistic and i still feel that way um you know and I'm, i definitely want to make changes when when it adds to somebody's experience um you have to you have to recognize that, um, and for a small builder, that's hard because you have to make new tooling and you have to adjust to certain new standards and stuff. So it gets complicated. But my philosophy is just to make really strong, reliable bikes and and not get too swept away with trends of you know lightweight and you know all the things that drive people. First and foremost, the bike has to be designed to do the job safely and reliably. That's the important thing for me. And I don't think that'll ever change, um, you know. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Go ahead. Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about the industry that you're in, which is custom bike building versus big box, and how you help people differentiate between those different uh, choices. Right. Well, okay, so right now when you get on, when you go to buy a really nice bike, you can go to a bike shop and, easily spend anywhere from $8,000 to $14,000 on a beautiful, lightweight carbon bike with the best wheels and the best everything. And it's really great that you can do that. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But the, what I offer, you know, is uh, is when people get a bike, I, it's very hard sometimes for people, including myself, to articulate what your riding experience is like, whether, you know, why you might hurt in an area like you might get fatigued in an area, your neck might hurt, your wrists might hurt. Um, and so over the years, I've kind of learned what changes help people with certain things. And everybody's at a different level of fitness and a lot, and everybody's at a different level of health, you know, health, whether they have, you know, some old injuries or back problems or neck problems or and just basically age catching up to you. It could be any of those items. Um, but I'm able to articulate that a little bit better or help my customers articulate what their needs are and what their riding style and their riding abilities are. So I think what I've been able to offer is helping people articulate what their riding experience is like right now on the bike they're riding and what their level of fitness and the type of riding they do. And I just try to help them understand what's going on with their current bike and how we can make it better and maybe try to just improve their riding experience. So Mm -hmm. what they're getting is they're getting, you know, instead of, uh, they're basically getting my time, and then as a craftsman, they're getting my time. You know, a lot of the wonder, 
and don't get me wrong, bikes that are made overseas are incredible. They're wonderful, and they're, they are made very well. And um, But what you're paying for with that is you're paying for the big tooling cost and the advertisement and the racing teams and the all those things that are necessary and have to happen to to keep cycling, you know, people enthused about cycling and sort of bring it to the forefront. But what you're getting with me is just a lot of hours, um, you know, making the bike and machining all the parts and doing all the welding and all the fitting and the bike design and all that. So it's more of a one-on-one experience. And um, right now, I'm, you know, with all the things going on in the world, I'm absolutely overwhelmed with orders. In the last 10 days, I've gotten 10 orders, and I got another one this morning. Wow. And that's that's pretty, that's a lot for one week. Uh, yeah. And um, and what I'm, what I'm trying to do is just, um, you know, deliver <clears throat> some personal attention to each rider whose needs are different. Everybody's, everybody's rights, right needs are completely different. It's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, but, you know, a lot of the stock bikes now fit people fine if they have just a little attention to detail to, to their rider fit. Um, you know, if they actually had somebody spend the time with them to get them fit properly on the bike, it makes a huge difference. Um, you can pull a lot of stock bikes off the floor, and if they have just some time put into their actual, you know, biking, current biking experience, they can be fit really good with a few changes, yeah. generally. Steve, if you were to focus on just one bike... From start to finish, how long would it take you to build? I think that question is asked to me more than any question ever. <laughs> and so when I make the bike, I'm, I don't make, just make the frame. I make, I make the frame, I make the fork, I make the stem, I make the handlebars, I make the seat post, and a lot of times other little, you know, uh, intricacies of the body. And, you know, it can be anywhere from 20 hours to... 60 hours of actual labor because it might have internal routing it might have just a whole bunch of different things that are or if it's a travel bike and it comes apart and it, there's just a variety of things so you know there's a lot of hours in the bike um, it's basically labor um, you know people will look at the cost of a bike and they say oh you got to be making a ton of money and I go well it's still work and I still have to spend um time at the shop building them so it's it's a it's a wonderful job but it's still hard work um like right now it's probably about 95 in the shop it's a big old building there's no air conditioning or insulation because it's such an old building but um i've been welding this morning and it's hot in here and it's it's like any other job it, it takes a lot of discipline and focus and and you're 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 still tired at the end of the day <laughs> and hope you have enough you know, energy left to go for a bike ride. Absolutely. I do, I do really enjoy it, but it's, what I'm selling is the labor and the craftsmanship and, uh, you know, just some years of experience. Uh, I know that you particularly build bikes out of titanium. Why don't you share a little bit of the differences because so many of us ride carbon, um, and you've chosen to stay the course with titanium. So give us some of the rationale. Okay. Um, well, I, I chose titanium mainly because of its uh, durability and reliability. Um, I'll try to I'll try to give all the the important aspects of it. It's um, wow. There's some rumbling going outside there. Oh, it's the motorcycle. Sorry. Um, one of the things about titanium, of course, 
is that when you're building titanium, um, there's no fudging it. It has to be absolutely clean. It has to be purged correctly. So titanium gives you instant feedback. You either do it right 100%. There's no sort of doing it right. It's either right or it's not. And I actually really like that because um, it challenges me just to do you know, just to be completely spot on with my processes, you know, the ultrasonic cleaning, per- perfect miters, you know, nice tight miters. Um, the welding has to take, as you have to do a single pass with no rod. You just are melting the parent material together. So you get a really good weld joint and there's, you know, details on that. But the other thing is, is it's a real reliable material. It doesn't oxidize. It doesn't rust. Um, it's got a really safe, um, sort of strength to weight ratio um it's got a um if you know all materials have a failure mode that means they reach their yield that's what they can take and they they show failure whether it's steel or titanium or aluminum and the thing that i like about those materials are mainly titanium it's got a safe reliable failure mode and it's very strong with carbon fiber it's an incredibly strong material but it's very good in its tension properties there's Tension, compression, and shear, and 90% of all mechanical failures are compression failures, and that's one area that carbon fiber is not good in, but it's, you know, they kind of changed the design to make it really strong in compression, and that's why you see the kind of larger areas on a carbon bike, like in the down tube area, head tube, down tube area, and they're able to form and make the tooling so it compensates for that, so they make them really strong and really nice, but... The other reason, mainly, is because I'm kind of a mountain bike cross-country guy, and uh, and the titanium bike is super durable. You know, you can drop it in the rocks and the dirt. You could scratch it up and stuff, and it won't really hurt it, as where carbon fiber is a lot more delicate, and it's notch-sensitive, which means that, you know, if you drop it on, on the rocks and you're on a ride or... You know, it's it's gonna it's gonna affect the quality of the frame and the and the reliability of it. So, there you just have to be a lot more careful with carbon fiber. It's probably lends itself to being a good road bike, <clears throat> but a mountain bike where you're, you know, just in the mountains and in the dirt and dropping it sometimes or putting it in the back of a truck or doing that. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a uh, it's a, it's just a more durable bike to have a, a titanium bike than it is a carbon bike if you're going to do mountain bike riding. Yeah, got it. Um, so speaking of riding, I noticed that there's been an industry trend toward gravel. How have you responded to those interests and how has it changed how you've had to do things, if any? Well, I started, I know this sounds funny, we used to call them cross bikes, but I've been building cross uh, gravel bikes for about 35 years. Um, I brought one, I brought the very first, um, cross bike to a trade show, uh, two years ago. And it, so there's my 35 year old cross bike and then my brand new gravel bikes. And people were just overwhelmed with the old, the old cross bike. And they said, wow, this is new. When did you come out with this? And, uh, I basically said, well, about 35 years ago, it had the (laughs) roller camera on it. you know, but I think you know, I'm just glad to see people are taking, um, you know, they're taking a traditional road bike, which is really fun to ride. Um, it's real efficient on the road and being able to put a little bit more rugged um, tires on it, a little bit bigger. 
and better brakes, you know, that you can get wet and, you know, this brake setup is really good. Or if you go with a, you know, a standard rim brake or cantilever type brake, you have a little bit better braking than the original caliper brake. Um, and, and then use the bike just to do a little bit more exploring, whether you want to get off the beaten path and take a gravel road and get away from the cars. I think it's great and pretty much, um, probably about 70% of the bikes I'm building these days are gravel bikes and gravel bikes. And uh, people are starting to say, you know, hey, the bike works great. I still have a great time on the road with my buddies. Um, it's amazing, really, how efficient they are. I mean, you can put a 38-millimeter, 40-millimeter tire with a good kind of um, a little bit of tread down the middle so it's, you know, it doesn't, it's smooth, and pump it up. And it's not going to really compromise your road riding much as far as energy and speed and all that. You'll just basically have a little bit more rugged, you know, bike that you can handle the bumps and potholes and everybody knows our roads are not quite the shape they used to be in so it's actually a good thing to have a little bit more rugged road bike yeah and um i don't know people have responded really well and um i just think overall people are looking for a more balanced you know uh cycling experience so they'll not just have a road bike you know they'll have a road bike that they can put a um go do things on or do a weekend camping trip or put their fenders on it if they want to ride in the rain or have a front and rear rack and, uh, you know, put some gear on it. And uh, they're just real practical bikes, and they're definitely a little bit more comfortable, and they're not as delicate as far as, uh, you know, watching all the all the rocks and little chuck holes in the road. And, uh, you know, I think people are seeing that, um, you know, it's just a, it's a great way to go, you know, just a, a kind of a rugged road bike that you don't have to be, quite as careful what's what you're riding over and it opens up some experiences to um riding like my little the bike i'm riding right now i have it's a cross it's a, a gravel bike and i put my dog basket on it and i ride uh with my dog up in some pretty steep dirt trails and i'm kind of blown away at how well it works you know it's just it just grinds up those hills if i can do it and uh it's an amazingly efficient bike. Yeah. And I can do the loop around the valley here and still feel like I'm riding a really high performance road bike. And it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. You know, as you're talking, I, I have to muse on the thought of, is there an all in one bike that can get enough (laughs) variance in the different pieces, you know, versus the quiver that many of us have. Okay. So, um, years and years ago, one, of course, one of my favorite people and my original partner, Charlie Cunningham, who's, uh, you know, built aluminum bikes and was one of the main innovators at WTB. Um, you know, we worked together since we were really young. We built a bike together called the DIA, the do it all bike. And, uh, it's a drop bar. It's a drop bar, basically gravel bike before people started calling them gravel bikes. And Charlie and I were building DIAs or do it all bikes. Um, for years and um, you know it's kind of great that people kind of caught on and it's something we've been doing a long time I you know of course I rode mountain bikes but I also rode my Dia my cross bike and one of the benefits of that of riding trails and single tracks and downhills and and all the mountain bike trails and fire roads on a drop bar bike or the Dia was it it dramatically increased your riding skills and um, and it was you know it was it was quite different and enjoyable to ride. I've, I, uh, 
a lot of my first mountain bikes were on our first dirt drops and and um at the, when i was younger that was it, you were hard pressed to keep up with me or charlie on a single track trail riding drop bars um you know we just learned how to do it and your focus was really um in a little different place you had a little bit more weight bias on the front but um it didn't slow us down at all it was very efficient bike and uh you know, great in climbing and comfortable. And I mean, they kind of fit like a glove there. You can ride on the hoods, right in the top, right in the drops. Yeah. Um, it gives you a lot more riding position than a flat bar did. So, um, really, really a good, um, way to go. And we also developed our, our, um, our shifters, which was a drop bar shifter that we made work with standard shifters and it allowed you to break and shift at the same time without taking your hand off the handlebar and, that later became known as the secret weapon to the 7-Eleven guys and some of the pro racers liked it because they didn't take their hand off the handlebar and to do a downshift, to do a breakaway, which was a total giveaway to the other riders. Mm-hmm. And somebody was going to go for a breakaway. So uh, the drop bar shifters were like right there at your fingertips. And uh, it was it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. Steve, are you implying that... Uh the road biking industry with the down tube shifters you were involved in the original prototype for the brake shifter combos that we now have uh well indirectly yes and i'll tell you what happened was uh we had this little drop bar shifter when i say we that was mark and charlie and i at wtb and we showed it to shinpei okajima which is the head engineer at uh, shimano and he's a wonderful man and he really liked us and we wanted to, um, I actually have a little chalkboard where he wrote on it. It was, it was something I always saved. But uh, he was a very smart man. And we wanted to license this to Shimano. And uh, Shinpei told us how much he liked this and we inspired him. And, and he says, but I challenge you, he says, I'm going to make something better. And that something better was the, uh, was the, uh, the new integrated brake arm, you know, brake lever shifting setup that Shimano came out with. Uh, the STI, I believe, was what they called it. And so that was, uh, we, we basically challenged Shimano, and they saw the need for it, which I'd say, you know, we, we helped inspire that, and uh, they, they took the ball and ran with it. Wow. And they came out with the, what's now the modern, you know, brake arm shifter uh, combo. And, uh, mm. and when that was a good move. Um, so, you know, we were indirectly helped with that, Um you know, because he saw that we saw a need for it, and we went after it in a way that was different than they did, and they integrated it, which was, you know, a very hard thing to do at the time. When I, I saw the original prototype, and and uh, Shimano is the world's best small part maker in the world. They're phenomenal at making these intricate small parts, and uh, they just did a beautiful job, and it really catapulted the whole industry into a whole another level of, of a writing experience because it really made it safer for a cyclist to keep his hands on the controls to do the braking and shifting. So that was a real, that was a real bonus for the uh, end user. So it seems yes, like we a, sort of indirectly responsible. For yeah. That. <laughs> it seems like it was around that time period in cycling in general that Shimano took off and Sun Tour kind of faded away. Um, yeah. The Shimano center at the time was the big company. They were, and we, uh, we worked with, we worked with Sun Tour. We licensed them our, our grease guard bearing system and we re- we licensed the roller cam brake and uh, they were a wonderful company and wonderful to work with but somehow Shimano saw this and kind of opened up and they 
they really took the ball and run it. Now remember, Shimano also makes fishing reels. They're one of the best fishing reel, small fishing reel yep. companies in the world. And you know they had they had some real things going for them. And they basically, you know, just the way things go, they just really took the helm and, and ran with it and uh, really dominated. And uh, but Center was an absolutely wonderful company, and uh, we got to work with Genzo Kawai uh, and a lot of great engineers. Learned a lot, and there was a lot of success there too. But uh, you know, the world is very dynamic, and we know that there's always change coming around the corner. So, yeah, um, Shimano came in there, and of course, then SRAM came in after that, and uh, just a lot of you know that competition really breeds people taking it to another level. And you know, you've got wireless shipping now, and you've got all these amazing things going on that we only dreamed of when we were kids. You know. What are some industry trends nowadays that you think have just been really fantastic for our industry from a design-build standpoint, not preference? Uh, I, I, I actually say what, what – I would say it's more of a philosophy than the actual product, but there's a lot of great products coming from that, is that the bike companies are starting to address people's needs, like they're making some great trail bikes, there's some great – snow bikes there's some good camping bikes um the gravel bike is a really good um indication that they're paying attention to people's needs which is you know people want a bike that's more durable they can ride on the road but they can also have these experiences where they can take it on a tour if they want to take it on a tour and, and uh they can take it you know cross country um they can change it up from riding on the gravel to you know still a great road bike and um those are kind of the innovations. There's a lot of great components out, you know, a lot of good, you know, they're kind of pushing it with the whole drivetrain thing. Now it's, you know, with the 12 speed and the skinnier chains and the incredible one by setups and getting the big gear ranges. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Um, there's some great products out there. Um, some of those products, you know, are really asked to do a lot. So some of them, you know, may wear out a little quicker than others and, but there's, you know, just a phenomenal um, amount of great things out there. I mean, who would have dreamed that we'd have disc brakes on bicycles? And uh, they make these just phenomenal, lightweight, powerful disc brake systems that work in the wet and the mud and, um, you know, they're reliable. And, you know, there, there's just a lot of great things out there going on. Yeah. So as we get close to wrapping it up, uh, there's a couple last questions. Number one. What are you most proud of regarding the bike industry and what your contribution has been? Um, let me see. Um, well, first of all, you know, building things and inventing things, you have to remember that you're always standing on somebody else's shoulders. Um, you know, all the people that came before me that worked really hard to invent things that spurred on new ideas to make it better and, you know, I, I didn't invent the bicycle or anything, but I was fortunate enough to have a lot of great people before me. And uh, I'd say, you know, Mark and Charlie and I contributed a lot to tire technology. It, at one time, it was just really set the standard. Um, I know probably the only thing, I mean, one of the things I'd say I'm really proud of is just making super durable, um, mechanically and aesthetically beautiful bikes. You know, they're you know, all the attention to detail to the welding and the mitering and the fit of the bike and the, um, you know, just the 
alignment and all that. Um, but there's no earth shattering things that I did. I don't think, um, except maybe, uh, put a smile on people's faces from riding bikes and having a good cycling experience. But, you know, I, I just feel, uh, you know, a lot of good things. We improved the braking at one time with the roller cam brakes, uh, brake, brake pad technology. We added a lot to, um, tire technology. Um, but you know, no, there's no earth shattering news. Um, just trying to make people's cycling experience a little better. I think, you know, uh, educating people on bicycle fit and paying attention to the things that work and don't work for their particular, you know, their bodies, whatever fitness they're in or, or whatever they're, you know, trying to do. I think that's really an important thing is to help educate people on being able to fit themselves better on a bike and have a good cycling experience. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, kind of an overall thing, just improving people's health. That's, I would say is a, is something to be, you know, grateful for. Right. Um, but you know, there's no, you know, I didn't, uh, no earth shattering news here. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one last, uh, general question and then, uh, a follow wrap up. Take us behind the scenes of the national handbuilt bicycle show, or I guess it's the North American handbuilt bicycle show. Yeah, handbuilt show. Yeah. And what it's like as a builder behind there, because some of these guys have heard about that and, um, you know, have an emerging interest as they delve yeah. deeper into the biking world. Well, okay, so one, I think probably the, one of the nicest things about that particular show is it is a hand-built bike show. It's uh, So, you know, one of the criteria of getting in is that you, you build your own bikes, that you build the bikes are hand-built by the builder that comes there. It's not, uh, it's not like you can create a company and... Uh, go there, you know, have it made in a big factory and go show there. That's There's other shows for that. So you're getting kind of a concentration of a bunch of really enthusiastic bike builders and bike people, and they're sort of laying it all on the line. You know, they're putting out their best best, and they're, they're you know, the cream of the crop stuff. And, and that includes all the flashy stuff too, which I have an aversion to, but I also, it has a place there too because – you know, people are just expressing themselves through building a bike, whether it's artful or a paint job or some, you know, beautiful lugs that may not enhance the actual ride of the riding, um, you know, format of the bike, but it's, it's beautiful. It's, um, aesthetically beautiful. And so I think what people get really charged up about at the bike show is people are passionate about it and people are putting out their best stuff. And, um, whether, you know, like it's the, best paint job in the world or or the most beautiful welded or lugged bikes it's all just wonderful energy and it's all got a place there because it helps people sort of you know uh, you kind of step up it's like if you're going to hang out with people you want to hang out with people that are doing their very best and you're going to try to learn something from and, and then do your best and uh and so i think it's a great place for there but for me um it's that, you know, you get to see everybody's very best work and it's really fun to do. And number two, it's a great group of people that have an appreciation for how hard it is to make things. So there's this level of appreciation where you look at stuff and you go, wow, that was, that must have been really hard to build or, or that work is just absolutely stunning. And you get to see the best of the best. And, um, and also the, so the people are great. And I've made a lot of friends over the years. And, you know, honestly, I look forward to seeing him there at the show. I might only see him at the show once a year, but you're like, 
you know, it's just a great visit. Um, you get to trade stories and you, uh, you get to kind of see what they're up against, you know, what they're doing, what the new stuff is. And, and it's inspiring. So I'd say one of the things is, is if you're interested in bikes and you go to the North American handheld bike show, it's a lot of fun. It's inspiring and you meet a lot of really nice people. So that's kind of the, the gist of it. It's only like a three day show, but you're, uh, it's not a real big show. There's maybe 180 um, exhibitors, but you're going to see some of the best of the stuff in the world. And um, it's really, it's, it's really a lot of fun. Oh, very cool. Well, um, thank you so much, uh, Steve, for this whole, uh, this whole podcast. Um, it's been eye opening to me. Um, and I'm, I'm sure others will agree. Um, just on a personal note, the, the shifting technology blew me away. I, that just changed racing in general. So, um, oh, just yeah. amazing. I, yeah, so many avenues to say about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate you, uh, getting on this little podcast that I do. Um, I'm, I can speak for all of us drama kings, uh, the men we ride with. Uh, truly, thank you for your time for that. Well, thanks. And, I, yeah. I only got to about a, a tenth of my real good story, so oh, I, I, I have plenty more from there. I, we can get you on again. We can just make a whole cool story <laughs> podcast. Um, I heard there was a Eddie Merckx thing, but maybe maybe uh, next time. Yeah, but we'll, do that, we'll do that again. That yeah. was a lot of fun. Um, how can we contact you um, if we're interested in learning about you or uh, maybe even putting a request in for a frame? Okay, so I have a, I have a website, stevepotsbicycles.com, and it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty simple site. Um, there's going to be some additions to it in the next month, okay. and um, that's one place. And then there's Steve Potts Bicycles Facebook. Um, and it's just all bicycle stuff, just, you know, pictures of the shop and rides and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, the, then there's Steve Potts Bicycles Instagram. And then, uh, of course, if you guys want to get a hold of me, Jonathan's got my number and all that. So yes. it's easy to get a hold of me. My email's on the website. And, um, okay. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. You might even see a picture of me in the post office on the <laughs> wall there the, in the wanted poster section. Yes, yes. Or on the back of a milk carton because you've been abducted. <laughs> So, anyway, <laughs> well, I really appreciate you guys. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, and, and thank you to Leduc for uh, uh-huh. making the connection, sharing the wealth. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, you guys. That was fun. Hey, appreciate you, and have a great ride. Okay, thanks, you guys. Take care. Bye. All right, bye.